Well, it's funny, because I'm just excited about this morning as I am about... I think I'm always excited. Um, Would you uh, do me a favor this morning? Would you take your bulletin and go ahead, if you have a a bulletin, you might have to look on with something. Could we stand together? We're going to take the first, uh, the next four Sundays, the sermons are on the values of City Church. Um, And what I'd like us to do this morning is to read the first value. It's called Come As You Are. So we're on the back of the bulletin. It says Our Desire. And I, I would like us to read it together if we could. So here we go. Come as you are. Here we go. There is a great joy in realizing that you don't need to pretend or perform for God. His love is deep, passionate, and unfathomably endless. He sent his son to die for us so that we could be rescued and draw close to him. Jesus truly is a friend to all, and we desire to emulate that every day by extending his love to others and meeting people where they are. Thank you. All right, you may be seated. I'm going to let you sit as we share the scripture today because it's a long passage. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Luke chapter 15. And we have it up on the screen as well. We're starting in verse 11. Jesus is speaking. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the youngest, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and fed him, sent him, he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, but no one was giving him anything. No one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. 
And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I'm asking this morning for understanding deep in our hearts as to what your heart is for us. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would remove those things that are barriers to intimate fellowship with you. I'm asking that you would remove in this place, even this morning, shame and offense that keeps our heart from being able to fully engage with you. Please, God, do something in this place for your glory and for our good. Lord, we love you. We will give you all the glory and the praise for every good thing that happens. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come as you are, point one. God loves people who are far from him and wants them to come home. Luke 15 is the gospel within the gospel. It is the essence of the heart of God that Jesus is explaining. He's explaining it to the Pharisees, the religious people. He's explaining it to sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He's trying to communicate the heart of God. And he says that this younger son went off into a distant country. He took, he, he got what he, he wanted, um, the father allows it, and he goes off into a distant country. It is impossible for any of us to be geographically far from God. In him we live and move and have our being. God's, God's everywhere, he's omnipresent, he's in all places at all time. But you can be, you and I can be morally far from God. We can be in a distant country. It says about Cain that he left the presence of God and he went into the land of Nod, which is the, uh, the word for wandering. He, he wandered out of the, of the presence of God, the closeness of God and chose to be in this distant country. And in 
Luke 15, we have two people that are far from God, two sons that are far from God, and one of them has just gone off into what everybody would be able to identify as open sin, open rebellion, loose living, squandering his life on addictions and women and all kinds of things. And this first one, this is, this is where our minds don't quite figure things out is we think because of how we've lived that somehow we have changed God's love for us. Somehow God loves good people and he doesn't love bad people. And that's just simply, it's not true. So we, we had the privilege December 28th through January 1st going down to Kansas City and being part of the One Thing Conference down there. It was actually... Alice stayed home, but it was me and 11 young people from the church went down there in two vehicles, and um, I always look forward to going down there just to, to be with God, just to get away, get away from all of this and be with God, and I had to announce to the young people, uh, I love you all, I am not pastor this week. That's not, that's not what this time is. I am just a, another Christian. I am just here to seek God. I, I need to meet with God. And so um, one of the things I just love doing if I'm ever staying in a hotel, I find a, a spot in the hotel to do my reading and uh, my journaling. But my favorite thing is to then go back to the room, get my swimsuit on and go down and do my prayer time in the hot tub. <laughs> I just love, I love just being in the hot tub and just pouring out whatever is going on. And so each morning I would go down to the hot tub and one morning I came down and there was a, there was a black man, I'd say mid-30s, maybe 30-something black man that's in the hot tub already and I'm like, oh boy, you know, it's supposed to be my prayer time. <laughs> and he's in there and he, there's no bubbles on. He's just there, the water's still, and this is, this is odd. So I'm just like, sir, do you mind if I turn the bubbles on? He's like, no, go ahead. So I go get the bubbles on, and, and I get in, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to be rude, so I'm assuming we're going to have some dialogue together. It's just the two of us, but he's got his head down like this, and he's just got his eyes closed. He's not looking at me. He's just doing his own thing, and... You know, we're at this prayer conference and there's 15,000 people at this conference. I'm just assuming he's part of the conference. He's clearly, he's lost in God. He I'm not the only one that comes down to the hot tub to pray. He is praying. Clearly, he is praying. And so I'm just having my own little time. And then he takes this, I don't know if it was an ice pack or what it was, but he puts it up on his head and he's holding it on his had and I I said sir are, uh, are you in pain right now and his story just just that little question just it all it all comes out um, he uh, 
he, he has to work later today. He, he's from Kansas City, and he's, he's got a pass that he got from the hotel to be able to come and sit in the hot tub as part of his therapy because he had an accident where his, his hip was messed up, his back was messed up, and he, he lives in pain all the time. On top of this, he has diabetes too, and his feet are in pain all the time, and and then he tells me this story. He said, but uh, he said, my, my diabetes and, and my lifestyle had caused me to go into a coma last year. And uh, my fiance got me to the hospital and it was looking really, really bad. And, but when I came out of the coma, I made God a promise. I said, I said to God that I will not drink anymore. If you get me out of this coma, if you get me out of this hospital, I will leave what has become a whole lifestyle. And he said, and that, he said that was 12 months ago. And he said, and he said, and I've been true to it. He said, he said I've, been, I've been true to it. I've been living in pain every day. I've, I've got pain all the time. And he said, but I haven't drunk for, for 12 months, except for that one time I had a rum and coke. And he said, I just, I don't know why, but I went back to it and, and I didn't even like it. I didn't even enjoy it. And, and I put it away and I'm, I'm, we're, and I'm just, I'm just, just living. His name is Gordon. And I said, Gordon, um, you know, I believe, I believe God is a healer. I said, uh, I said, we've seen many healings at our church and maybe, maybe this has just been set up. Maybe, maybe you and I are together here and it's set up and maybe God wants to do something in you. I, I, I said, uh, what do you think about that? He said, huh? I, I don't know. I said, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Are you okay with Jesus? Do you, do you, do you have any relationship with Jesus? He said, I, he said, I grew up with Jesus. He said, I got a long way from him, but I grew up with Jesus as a child. I said, that's, that's amazing. So you're, you're making your way back to him, aren't you? He said, yeah, that's exactly what's happened. I said, I said, well, Gordon, would you mind if I prayed for you right, right now? And he's like, okay. I said, I, I'd have to put my hand on you. Is that okay? He's like, yeah, go ahead. I said, Gordon, are you okay with the Holy Spirit? Have you heard about the Holy Spirit? I said, because I'm not, this isn't going to be a nice, just a nice prayer. There's going to be a presence of God that's going to come on you. Are you okay with the Holy Spirit? He said, I've heard of the Holy Spirit too. He said, go ahead. So I put my hand on Gordon and I just pray a very short prayer. Just Lord, your presence is here. Just release your healing presence into Gordon's feet and into his hip and into his back. Thank you for loving Gordon in Jesus' name. We shook hands. I, I left. And, uh, you know, whatever, whatever. Whatever God does, God loves people. God's reaching people and Next morning, Gordon's in the hot tub again. 
I come down. And, but there's another guy in there too. And so the three of us are chatting about everything in life. And I'm just waiting for this, this third guy to leave. And he finally leaves. And it's just me and Gordon. I said, Gordon, I said, I just have a question for you. Do you think God heard our prayer yesterday? <laughs> he said, he said, oh, I know he heard that prayer. He said, uh, he said I didn't have any pain. The, re- the, the whole rest of the day, I had no pain. And I, I said, I said, now, are you sure? Are you sure it wasn't just a hot tub? Because he said, I know the hot tub thing only lasts for about an hour. And then I'm in deep pain all day. And the pain was gone the whole day. And he said, he said, but I woke up this morning and he said, those symptoms were, 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 were starting to come on me again. And, and, and I, I, and I said, Gordon, I said, uh, I just said, you, you know, you need, you make your identity in God's healing. I said, you know, the enemy tries to re-enslave us. I said, um, we're just going to pray again. We're going to rebuke those things again. And, um, and, and, and you just need to stand for what God is doing in your life. I said, are you okay? He said, absolutely. And so I pray for him. But here's what touched me. I get done praying for him. I said, Gordon, I think God likes you. And he looks at me, and it's the first time that he smiles. And he says, yeah, I think he does. <laughs> Gordon's life in alcohol and addiction and going his own way and taking his God-given talents and his God-given breath and his God-given strength and using it instead of for God and just using it for himself and for this world and for, for other. None of that had changed the fact that God loved him. And God brought him back because God loves people that are far from him. So the next morning, I'm with another guy. We're, I'm in there, we're, we're, me and a, a lady are chatting. She's from the conference, and, and this guy comes in, and uh, we, we start chatting, and uh, he's, he finds out we're at this conference and there's 15,000 people at this conference. Oh, this is, New Year's, this is New Year's Day. So it was the night before he had come to the hotel from somewhere else for the Union Station. They have a big, huge New Year's Eve thing and he was partying the night before. And uh, so that's why he's in town. And, we, and I just explained, we're at a conference. It's just over at the convention center and there's 15,000 people at it. And he is immediately angry. He's like, why? How could there be a conference with 15,000 people here and we haven't even heard about it? Why, why, did they, why, did, why does our news people not tell us? We, this, this is a big event and we didn't hear about it. We've got a right to know what's going on in Kansas City. And there's just this anger. I'm like... And so he gets out to do the bubbles, and I, 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 share, this, I share this explanation with him. I'm, I'm like, you know, maybe it's because... Um, it's a Christian conference, and, and Christians, uh, they kind of rub against the grain of, 
of society because Christians say that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven and, and that, that it's the right way, that, that it's actually true and that makes other ways not true and, and maybe it's just the offense that has been caused and, and he's, co- he's coming back from the bubble, t- pushing the bubbles and he says this, he says, uh, he says, well, I got my own opinions about that. He said, but I still think they should have let us know that there was a conference here. And he gets into the, back into the bubbles and his name is Brett. Did I already say that? And, and Brett, I say, Brett, I said, you know, you, you said you've got other opinions. I said, I'd lo- I would love to talk about your other opinions. <laughs> what, what are your other opinions? And, and he comes with it, man. He's like, I, he said, I got many questions. But here's the big one right here. A little girl is raised in Iraq. She spends her whole life as a Muslim. She never hears about Jesus from anybody. And she dies and she's going to go to hell. He said, really? Really? Is that who God is? And he's just... He's just angry. And so we talk, we talk a little theology, and then I, I share a few stories from the uh, book by Tom Doyle called Dreams and Visions, Is God Awakening the Muslim World? I said, I said Brett, have you, have you heard about this? Jesus is appearing to Muslims all over the Middle East in their dreams. He's inviting them. He, he's going where nobody can go. And I told him the, the, the one story, one of my favorite stories, this is in Egypt, uh, in the book, he, they name him Hassan, it's clearly not his name, but he's a Christian and he's, he's very evangelistic and he's sharing with everybody and because he's in Egypt and he knows uh, Egypt is the intellectual center of Islam, it's where the big university is, it's where they're trained. Saudi Arabia is the religious center, but Egypt, Cairo is the intellectual, that's where their big university is, and, and uh, he knows it's just a matter of time before I get killed, and because he's just decided to go all out, and he's preaching, and so one morning, four in the morning, he's woke out of his bed, he's jerked out of his bed, they, a bag is put over his head, and he says, you need to come with me right now, and they pull him out, and as he's being led on housetops to wherever they're going, he knows he is about to be killed and possibly tortured first. And he's just preparing himself for that. It was the inevitable. He knew it was going to happen. So they, they get into this room, and the bag is pulled off of his head, and there are 10 men in this dark room, candlelit room, and the guy that put the bag on his head starts. And he says, uh, we're all imams. Everyone in this room is an imam. Each of us have come to Christ. And we really, through God's grace, found each other. And we have been meeting three times a week for prayer and study. And we know you are a Christian. And we need you to tell us and teach us about Jesus. So I'm I'm telling Brett this story. And he gets tears in his eyes. 
and he says, I have never heard anything like this. And here's what he says. He says, I've been the older brother. He said, I am a Christian, but I was so angry about the exclusiveness that I've, I've cut myself off from community and I've, I've been angry. He said, I've never heard anything like this. Do you know that God loves and continues to love not just the prodigal son that's gone off in his sin, but he also loves the older brother that's self-righteous and angry and has got his own opinions? And that he, he goes after people. This is his heart. Listen to Psalm 147, verses 2 and 3. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This is, this is who God is. He is seeking to gather the human race. He has given freedom, and people can go and do whatever they want to, and it's amazing how much he allows, but his heart is to gather people, to bring them home to himself. He is a just God. But the Bible says this in, in Ezekiel 18. He's, God is explaining how he feels. He said, I have no pleasure, no pleasure in the, in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure when people get what's coming to them. I don't find any joy in it. Where does God find joy? How does God get pleasure? We find out in Luke 15. He says, here's what, how it works. It's like a, a shepherd that's got 99 sheep and one is astray. And he goes after that one until he finds it. And when he comes back, he's filled with joy. He said there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents and when 99 stay righteous, this is what brings God joy, is to gather people. He said, it's like a woman that's got 10 coins and she lost one and she looks for it and she's looking everywhere. And when she finds it, she has a party and calls her friends. We have to rejoice. He said, this is what brings God joy when he gathers people to himself and is allowed to heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. Luke 13, 34. I want you to hear. We, we, we can have this cold view of God as if God is just kind of like this machine of non-emotion. I want you to hear for a moment the longing that's in God's heart. God has a desire. Listen to this. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus is giving a, a prophetic picture of the mother heart of God. Like a hen 
that wants to gather her chicks inside of her wings. So I have longed to gather you. Malachi 4 says that the the son of righteousness is going to rise and there will be healing in his wings. Did you know that we are healed in intimacy with God? We are healed when we get close to God. Healing starts breaking forth. And then he says this crazy thing. This was the longing of my heart, but you were unwilling to come. I invite you to come just as you are, but you were unwilling to come. Now, the reason why this is so stunning is this is the religious leadership, the people that are most religious, that are unwilling to come, to actually come to God. Those who are saying they come to God, those who their whole business is about God and religious stuff have not actually come into the place of intimacy and are living very blind. Isn't that stunning? So let's talk about that. Point two, this is my last point. Why are people unwilling to come? If this is the heart of God, if we were created for this, why would people become unwilling to come? And there's many reasons. I'm gonna only give you two today. The first one is something called shame. I had always thought that when the prodigal's money ran out and he was impoverished, the reason why he didn't come home was because of pride. Instead of coming home, he goes and he attaches himself to a pig farmer and starts working for somebody else. Why didn't he come home right when he ran out of money? And I used to think that it was pride, and pride is certainly a reason that people stay away. We'll actually look at that a little later, but I don't think that's why he didn't come home. I think he tells us why he didn't come home. When he finally is ready to come home, he says these words. I am unworthy to be called your son. I have shamed you. I have disqualified myself from being close to you. Shame, shame keeps us away. It's our own little mental court system where we, de- we decree that we are not We are not deserving of God. We're not deserving of salvation. We're not deserving of grace. And because I have done so many bad things, and so it's it's time for me to take my lumps. I do not deserve to be close to God. That was open to me at one time because of bad behavior. I am now outside of God and God's grace and God's love. And so he's he's unworthy, and so he's going to, he, he stays away because of shame. Now here's the funny thing. It appears like he returns home. But if you listen to his words, he's not. Shame is still on him. He decides to go back, but the end of the speech is, 
make me as one of your hired men. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not looking to get back into fellowship with you. Make me as one of the workers. I understand that you don't want to see me anymore and have fellowship. I, want, I understand I have lost something that cannot be regained in my little court system. So put me on minimum wage. I'll live somewhere else. And The result of sin, one of the results of sin is shame that wants to hide. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they didn't just put on fig leaves to hide from each other. They hid in the bushes when God came walking and the first question to the human race asked by God was this, Adam, where are you? Where, where are you? It has nothing to do with God getting information. God can't get new information. God knows everything. It's about the importance of Adam identifying himself, identifying the fact that he's hiding and where he's hiding. So that's, that's what God comes to. He comes to us in our shame. And he says, where are you? And we, the way we hide, oh my, we are great hiders. The human race can hide anywhere. We can hide in sports. We can hide in busyness. We can hide in the internet. We can hide in entertainment. We can hide, we can hide in anger. We can hide. We've got so many different hiding places that we just keep our lives separate from God, and God comes, and he gently comes, and he says, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? All you need to do is just agree with God that you're in hiding, because God's heart is to bring you back into fellowship with himself. God himself makes a sacrifice and Adam and Eve have to take off the fig leaves they have made, their own hiding place, and they have to put this skin on. There's been a blood sacrifice that has provided a skin, and they need to take off what they're hiding in and put on that which God has provided through sacrifice. This is the gospel. God has provided a sacrifice in Christ. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you. You do not have to hide your shame. You don't have to try to get your best foot forward or try to look good. God knows everything. He loves you. He died for you, and he's got his own righteousness to put on you. He's got the best robe to put on you, his own righteousness, and it was made just for you. It is a designer jacket. It's exactly your dimensions. Whatever, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, God wants to bring you home and close to himself. The second place, and this is my very last point of my last point, <laughs> is the other place that people hide is in offense. I want you to see something because I've seen it with the older brother and with the father. 
He's already offended with the father. He, he has treated sonship as if it's a job. And he's worked at being a good son by keeping commands and by doing, doing, serving in all of these ways and doing what's right and serving day and night. And he's treated sonship as if it is a job instead of a relationship. And he's very angry at his father for not taking the same definition that he has put on this. And he's already angry because he feels like he should be getting paid more. He should be being rewarded more. So what what happens when the prodigal comes home is it takes the anger that's already there. He feels like he's being mistreated and it accentuates the anger because now not only am I being mistreated, but this son who absolutely deserves the worst is getting the best. And he's just out of control now. He can't even say the father's name. When, when the father comes out, he doesn't say, father, here's what's wrong. He says, look, bud, this is wrong. It was bad enough when I'm slaving away and not getting proper payment. And now you've just gone over the top. Now, I want to share with you, however much the Father wants him to come in, I want you to see that there's one thing that the Father is unwilling to do, and that's apologize. The Son wants an apology. This is Wrong. You have done wrong. You have violated me in, in, in immense ways by this thing, and he wants an apology. Somebody tell me they're sorry. The father will not apologize. He just offers what real sonship is. He said, son, son. He can't call him father, but he still calls him son. He refuses to call him father, but the father still calls him son. My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. That's sonship right there. So here's what happened to me. This is my January 1 experience. (laughs) Having my quiet time. This is so brutal. I'm taken back to a time, I was probably 10 years old, and my dad had spanked me. And hard, not a small spanking. Has anybody ever heard heard of a bare butt spanking? (laughs) Yeah, one of those. And I'm, I'm leaning against the wall, and I'm crying. And here's the, here, here's the interesting, it becomes so real to me. The tears have nothing to do with what I had done wrong. I couldn't even remember what I had done wrong. The tears were tears of self-pity because my dad owed me an apology. He had spanked me too hard, inordinately hard, 
too much for whatever little thing I had done wrong. I certainly didn't deserve this type of treatment. So here I am, I'm up there, I'm in self-pity, I'm crying, I'm waiting for my dad to come upstairs and apologize because he owes me an apology. And you know what, sometimes dads actually do owe their kids an apology. Sometimes they discipline in the wrong way, sometimes it isn't fair, sometimes it's, and so parents sometimes do have to apologize. Whether my dad owed me an apology, I have no idea, but here's what I do know. Let me read this scripture and then I'll tell you the rest of what happened. Hebrews chapter 12, nine through 13. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So I have this little picture of me as young waiting for this apology, and then I'm brought to September of 2008, and God reinterprets my life for me. This is, this is woven so deeply into my spirit. It's September of 2008. We had moved to Madison in August of 2007 to pastor Mad City Church, and uh, we, were, we, we, we had sacrificed to leave uh, the church in Minnesota, and we had left everything to come and do this, and it was for the glory of God, and everything was about God and for God, and, and we were, this is the Christian life. We were obeying God, and when we hit Madison 2007, everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. Church was, was a problem. The, the, uh, we, we didn't sell our house in, that was still in Minnesota. We, we, we were living in my, my, my brother's house in the basement. It was a time, truly a time of abasement. Their cat comment <laughs> was a torment to us. Comment, comment lived in the, in the basement, and comment would every single night, I took over the feeding of Comet because Comet was right down there and I thought we could do this for Mike and I, my oh my, they're letting us stay down here. And every single night we would wake up and there would be a big pile of whatever you call cat poop. <laughs> Lisa has just helped me. The, the official word is cat poop. Okay, so, so it would be there and I'm like, I, I, every morning, I'm just like, this is so disgusting, but I'm not gonna trouble Mike and Diane with the fact that there's this thing. And so one time we had been away for a week and I came back and so Diane had gone back to feeding her and Diana's putting food in Comet's bowl and she's just got a little handful, just the smallest amount. I'm like, Diane, what are you doing? Put a whole bunch in there. Cattle feed itself. She said, oh no, you can't do that. Comet's got a disease. He, he doesn't know when to stop eating. If you did that, he'd poop everywhere. <laughs> I'm like, really? That's interesting. 
But the big trial was that we, that we couldn't sell our house. And so we're praying and we're fasting and we're believing. And, and, and then in, 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 in August of 2008, it sold and we were rejoicing full price, exactly how everybody had been praying. The way it came down, I give the testimony at Mad City. It is awesome. God is so good. And I'm on a prayer retreat in September and uh, just getting alone with God, studying for the, for the future, and I get a call from our realtor, and, the, and the, the sale of the house has fallen through. Two days before the closing, we were leaving for the closing, and it fell through, and the guy had lied, and da-da-da-da, people, it was just a, it, just a disaster, and this was too much for me. I was, I was just mad just mad at God. And I had my little list. Now it's so clear to me that this is the older brother. I am listing everything I've done for God. And this is how he's treating me. And here's the funny thing. God divinely arranged over the next, it, we, it didn't sell for four year, five more years after this. But God divinely arranged during those five years. I think I heard God sovereignly had me everywhere where people had sold a house. <laughs> and just amazing stories of houses selling. And it sold within 10 minutes of when we were just about to put it on the market. And somebody called us and asked if they could buy it at the full price. Isn't God good? And I didn't like it. I didn't like it. But here's what would come out of my spirit, okay? I didn't want this thought, but this is the thought that came out of my spirit. I'm more righteous than they are. <laughs> I've done everything for you. They're, they're barely saved. They're barely a Christian. I don't even know if they have a quiet time. And they decide to sell their house. And it sells amazingly right away. And do you see... Do you see what he's doing? He's showing me the older brother spirit. For all of my preaching about relationship in my actual heart, I'm treating Christianity, I'm treating sonship as if it's a job instead of a relationship. And God is trying to heal me. He's trying to break a mindset, and I'm not even going to call it a mindset, a heart set. Men, men do jobs. It's easier for men to do jobs than do relationships. Relationships are complicated. So men, to make their lives easier, they just do jobs. They just take tasks, and, and, and I'm, I'm that. And so in the past, whenever I've told this story, everybody always feels sorry for me, which is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> because God owed me an apology. I wanted that apology. And I couldn't see, oh my, this was the goodness of God. It wasn't pleasant, it was painful. But it was for my healing. He has been trying to break something in me. And I couldn't understand his ways, but they were good. They were beautiful. And I think a lot of folks 
many in here, but many out there are, are waiting for God to apologize to them because they're offended by what's going on on the, on the planet. If God is good and if God is fully loves us, then here's, here's what we're really saying. Then he would make us comfortable. Then his highest goal would be that we would be comfortable now. And, and the funny thing about it is there's not a parent here that your main goal is for your kids to just be comfortable all the time. You want them to grow in character. You want them to become beautiful people, not just continue to survive on the planet. You've got more for them than survival. You want them to thrive. You want them to become people of character. And God himself wants us to share his own holiness. He is a good, good father. Does anybody remember the Packer game on Thanksgiving Day? Very, very low moment for Packer fans. Um, Every, the stage was set, my oh my. We are playing the Bears on Thanksgiving. It's an evening game. Uh, Brett Favre is coming back. Bart Starr is going to hug him. And we know for a fact we can beat the Bears. We always beat the Bears. But that night, something kept happening during the game. It happened again and again and again and again, and here's what it was. The announcers, of course, they, at that time, no one wanted to blame Aaron Rodgers for anything because he was amazing. So it was all about the Packer receivers can't get open. And they would say, Packer receivers can't get open. And then they would go over to the sidelines and show you Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson is on the disabled list. Jordy Nelson is the answer to all our problems, but Jordy Nelson's not in the game. Jordy Nelson's on the disabled list. And, and so we'd got this frustration in the game, and then we'd go back over to show Jordy Nelson. And Jordy's always just like shaking his head, boy, if I was in there. <laughs> if I was in there. So here's what's going on in the kingdom. God brings and allows hardship and difficulty into our lives for our healing, but if we misinterpret it, the very thing that was meant to heal us, Hebrews 12 says in verse 13, can disable us. The very thing God intended in his great love, in his great leadership to, to craft us, to bring us to himself, to heal us, to make us the best us possible, us filled with the Holy Spirit, the very activity of God to, to bring us into the beauty, to, to take our ashes and give us beauty, that very activity can put us on the disabled list. And because of shame, we put ourselves on the I'm going to be on the sideline. Here's why. I deserve to be on the sidelines. I, I, don't, I don't deserve to be in the game anymore. I'm on the sidelines. And I'm, it's just that I'm here. Or I'm offended. So I am going to be on the sidelines, and I don't care. I'm not playing in that game anymore. I'm not helping the team anymore. I'm not building the kingdom anymore. I think a brat. He's just, he's just angry. He's on the sidelines. It's not right. It's not fair. And he's just going to be on the sidelines. And here's... Here's the horrible thing. God will come over to the sidelines 
a thousand times and invite us back into the game. What is the game? The game is intimacy with him. It's fellowship with him. It's advancing the kingdom of God. It's, it's where light is going forward. And he'll come over to the disabled list and we, we say no because of shame or we say apologize and I'll come back in. And he refuses to apologize because he was right. He's always right. Isn't that frustrating? <laughs> He's always right. He can't apologize. And so what happens is God will, he'll leave us over on the disabled list. And it's very confusing, especially if you're the older brother, because you still go to church. Still read the Bible. Still raise your hands, maybe. Still give the tithe. Anybody that looks at you would say, wow, what a Christian. But you know that you're, di- you're dis- disconnected at a heart level. You are not trusting God because of this that happened or that that happened. And whenever God gets too close to it, you just back off and maybe even become more religious. Do you know that religion is one of the places people hide? Religious behavior? <laughs> and God just leaves you on the disabled list. And here's the church that needs you. The kingdom that needs you. The kingdom needs you. Your gifts, your personality, your excitement, your zeal. And the church is failing in America and the camera has to go to the sidelines. And there you are on the sidelines just shaking your head at the church. Yep, horrible church. God's saying, come on back in. Come on back into the game. I love you. You, Hard things have happened. How many know life is hard, but God is good? Life is hard. God will agree with you that life is hard. Life is meant to be hard. It's a testing time. He's bringing us into his own holiness. Could we stand together? I'd like the worship team to come back. Here's how how we're going to end today. Curtis, could we do that? You're a good, good father. Yeah. Amazing, amazing song. So here's my two calls. First call is this. Could we have a, just for a moment, every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. The first call is simply this. You don't know that you are saved. You don't know whether you're saved. You don't know that your sins are forgiven. You've never accepted Christ or given your heart to Christ and allowed him to wash you and cleanse you and give you his gift called eternal life. Well, the Bible says that he doesn't force that one on anybody, but he will knock. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I I will knock. I will knock. I can knock loud too. And if anyone opens the door, you, you and I provide the willingness to come. We provide the will. There's a longing in God. That's why he's knocking. But he will not force that door down. We provide the willingness. We say, yes, I am willing to come. And we open the door. He says, if you open the door, I will come into you. I will bring myself and all of my healing and all of my gifts and all of my goodness so if that is you, this is the first call. With every head bowed, every eye closed, because it's between you and God, but I want to help you because somebody helped me. 
Sometimes it's hard if you're not used to spiritual things to, to express them to God. If that is you today, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it. See those hands in the back? I see this hand here all over the place, up in the balcony, upraised hand. We're going to pray that in just a moment. Okay, anybody else? Okay, if you could just put your hand over your heart if you raise your hand. Pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. Lord, I gladly give you my fig leaves today. I give you all of my hiding places. I give you my shame. And I ask you to come into my heart. Save me. I am opening the door. Save me. Bring me close. Heal me. And make me what you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the second call. You're on the disabled list. You are definitely saved. But you're, you're, you're disengaged at a heart level. It might be shame. It might be offense. But you want to reconnect with God today. You want to say, Father, bring me in. Would you just open your arms like this to the Lord? I just want to pray. Lord, I just, I love how grace works because all we need to do is recognize that we're on the sidelines and just own that this is where we are and have been. And grace just brings us right, right back into the game, right back into fellowship. God, forgive us, especially as men where we've treated sonship as if it's a job instead of a relationship. Would you wash us? Wash our hearts. Father, for those of us who have been waiting for you to apologize to us for the difficult, horrible things that have happened in our life, we just today, we say this with our hearts, even if we don't have full understanding. You are a good, good Father. This is who you are. We're going to sing this. And what we're going to do this morning, guys, if you are on a ministry team, I certainly invite you to come and be the first ones to come and just pray and seek God. But we're not going to pray for you this way. This is just an old-fashioned altar call today. We're going to worship. We're going to do this song. And I'm going to ask you to, whenever you want to dismiss yourself, to dismiss yourself. But what I am asking is that this would just be a, a prayer meeting in here and that fellowship would happen out in the foyer. So God bless you.